You know, growing up, we're told by our parents to be careful who we spend time with. In fact, some of you that are younger may have had your parents recently talk to you about the fact of how important it is that you're careful about who you take as your close friends. By the way, that's good advice. I remember many, many years ago, I was a much younger uh, boy, I remember my grandfather telling me about someone taking two cloths, one clean cloth, one dirty cloth, and rubbing them together. And his point that he wanted me to understand was that the dirt rubbed off on the clean cloth. God's Word has something to say about that as well. It's interesting. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says this, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, we are looking at the life of Samson. By the way, if you have your copy of God's Word, you could be going to Judges 14. We'll be there in a moment. But we're looking at Samson. And thinking about this whole idea of being careful who you spend time with, being careful who your friends are, I got to thinking about Samson. And I asked myself this question, is Samson the type of person that we should hang out with? <laughs> Better yet, let me ask it to you this way, would you want your children to spend time with a man like Samson? Now think about it. My honest answer would be no. I think that Simon Robinson was correct when he wrote, in many ways the life of Samson serves as a warning to us, he is everything a servant of God should not be. Everything a servant of God should not be. But then as you read the Scriptures and you get into the New Testament and you get to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, which is the hall of faith, lo and behold, there's Samson's name. So how do we connect that? How does that work? I mean, here's a man we personally would not want to hang out with. We wouldn't want our children to be influenced by. And yet we get to Hebrews 11 and he's put forth as a hero of the faith. We're learning the answers to those questions. We're spending some time with him and learning lessons from his life. Last time, we started in uh, Judges chapter 14. And we just kind of got into the first part of the passage and we learned that he, he was captured by the beauty of a Philistine girl. And he wanted this woman to be his wife. And we talked about a pretty face. We looked at a lot concerning the pretty face that just really captured Samson. And so we want to pick up our study today. We're going to go back and read Judges 14. And then we'll kind of pick up from where we left off last time as we move from a pretty face to a hard place. Let's read the Scripture together. If you'll follow along with me, I'm going to be reading Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 20. Now Samson went down to Timnah. I mentioned to you last week, remember that phrase, went down, is not just geography. It's not just direction. It is that. He did go down, but really it's a picture of his life at this point. You're going to see that. He went down, he went down, he went down. So Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren? Or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? 
And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them they had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman. And Samson gave a feast there, for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. Now it came to pass on the seventh day, some translations have the fourth day, which I think makes a lot more sense. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us. Or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you've not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I haven't explained it to my father and my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while the feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that they told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city came to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. An unusual story, to say the least. An interesting story. There's so much here, and we're centering our thoughts upon these three headings, a pretty face, we looked at that last time, and today we're going to add the second and third, that is a hard place and marvelous grace. We looked at in detail last time about the fact that at this point in his life, Samson is walking by sight, not by faith. He saw a woman, 
He looked at that woman. She looked good to him. He wanted her. Get her for me as a wife. He didn't care what his parents thought. He didn't care what Jehovah thought. He didn't care what anybody thought. He wanted this pretty face. He wanted this woman. He's walking by sight and not by faith. He ignored godly counsel. He ignored God's word. And he plunged along in pursuit of this good-looking woman. And that pretty face led to a hard place. A hard place. Now on the surface, the story is pretty straightforward. It's strange at times, but it's pretty straightforward. You've got honey out of a lion. You've got a riddle. You've got these companions that are with him. You've got all this stuff going on. But if you're not careful, you may miss some really important things as you read the story because you're thinking about the lion. You're thinking about the honey. You're thinking about this weeping woman. You're thinking about all this stuff. And you may forget who this man was and what he was called to do. Remember, he is a Nazarite. He is a Nazarite. He was a Nazarite from the womb. He was set apart for God's service as a judge to begin to deliver God's people from the Philistines. Now, Nazarites, if you remember, you can go back and read about this in Numbers chapter 6, but Nazarites had really three major restrictions in life. No grapes, no haircuts, and no dead bodies. That's pretty much a summary of the Nazarite vow. No grapes, no haircuts, and no dead bodies. Now, I want you to look at Samson, what he's doing at this point in his life. First of all, I want you to notice that he was toying with sin. He was toying with sin. On the trip to to Timnah with his mom and dad, it says that Samson goes off to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, just stop and think about that for a moment. That's a very strange place for a Nazarite to head, to go to the vineyards of Timnah. A Nazarite was to have nothing to do with with grapes, with with, with the vine. No grapes, no raisins, no wine, no, no peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, grape jelly, none of that. Nothing to do with grapes. And yet we read that they're going down and he kind of, I don't know if he goes off, no, wanders off or gets there and says, I'm going to go out for a little bit. But he wanders off to the vineyards at Timnah. What in the world is he doing in the vineyard? And, And later in verse number 10, it says that he gave a wedding feast. Literally what this was, it was a drinking party. That's what it was. It says young men used to do that. By the way, they still do it today. But they, they gave this drinking party. And, and it doesn't say that Samson ate any grapes. It doesn't say that Samson drank any of the wine that was served at the drinking party. It doesn't directly say that. He certainly put himself in the position to do so. And knowing Samson and learning about Samson as much as we are, it, it's probably pretty safe to say he probably did. He was at least toying with sin. If he didn't actually yield to temptation, he certainly was putting himself right there into place. He was like a recovering alcoholic who sat at the bar in a very dangerous place. He's toying with sin. Secondly, he was taken with the trivial. Did you notice that? We're told that he he kills this lion. And then later on, on another trip, he comes across, across the corpse of the lion and the corpse and the heat in that environment may have dried up very quickly. quickly. And, and he notices that there are bees and there are honey in this corpse. 
and he takes the honey. He begins to eat the honey. And then it says he took the honey and gave it to his parents. But you notice the Bible says that he didn't mention that he killed the lion to his parents. And the Bible says it, it, that he didn't mention where he got the honey from. Why? Why didn't he tell him about the lion? Why didn't he tell him about the honey? Why didn't he tell him about all these things? I mean, that's a pretty incredible story. I'm, I was going down to the vineyards and I killed a lion. I went back there towards the vineyards. There was some honey. Here it is. I like what one preacher said. He said he did not tell his parents what he had done for the same reason folk do not boast around church people of their good golf score, which they got on Sunday when they skipped church to play golf. He didn't want his parents to know where he was. He didn't want his parents to know what he was doing. Some scholars believe that Samson broke the Nazarite vow by touching the dead body of that lion. Some, some scholars believe that. If not, he was certainly ceremonially un, uh, unclean, according to the law. And if so, if he was ceremonially unclean, he made his parents also unclean because he took honey from that dead corpse, ate it himself, and then gave it to his parents and didn't tell them about it. But it could be that he actually broke his Nazarite vow. It could be at this point in the story that Samson's already broken two parts of the Nazarite vow, eating or drinking from the vine and touching a corpse. We can't say for certain, but notice his demeanor here. He's not remorse. He's not repentant. He's not anything of that sort. He's taken with the trivial. And we see it because he moves into the trivial because he puts forth this riddle. Now, when you have a seven-day drinking feast, it's easy to get kind of bored and so they say this is one of the things they would do. They would pose riddles. They would pose this bet. And this bet was all about 30 changes of basically undergarments and clothing. Now, what in the world Samson's going to do if he wins it with 30 sets of clothing? I don't know. But he puts forth this bet. And these 30 companions, verse 11, these are provided, obviously, by the bride's party. I mean, Samson strolls up. And they get in these 30 drinking buddies, if you will, the wedding party, I assume. And the riddle that he gave was a good one. I mean, the chance of them figuring out this riddle was slim to none. I mean, this was almost guaranteed. I'm going to win this bet. They didn't stand a chance. And, of course, you know the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. No one knew the answer but Samson. He didn't tell his parents. He didn't tell anybody else. Nobody knew the answer. I mean, this was as good as his. The clothes were his. But remember, I said that that pretty face led to a hard place. Samson finds himself surrounded by 30 disgruntled drinking buddies and a crying bride. Talk about a hard place to be. You see, he was worn down by a weeping wife. Now, if you're curious about what kind of people were the Philistines, well, just look at verse 15. I'll read it out of the NLT just so you hear a little bit differently this time. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us. In other words, give us the answer, or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? Well, there's an encouraging word on your wedding feast, huh? 
You either give us the answer, we're going to burn down your father's house, and you're going to be in it when we burn it down. That's the type of people we're talking about, these Philistines. By the way, that word entice there in the Hebrew, I'm told, literally means to seduce a simple-minded person. And sadly, that's what Samson is. He's being seduced as a simple-minded person. He had his sights set on that wedding night. See, this wedding feast would lead up to where he actually took his bride and consummated the marriage. He's just passing the time. He's just waiting to the end. And he's dealing with all this stuff, trying to have some fun, trying to have a good time, trying to get some cool threads to wear, 30 sets of them and the undergarments. I mean, he's going to be set. He's going to be uh, all this wonderful things going on. And he was easy prey for what's about to happen here. His wife, by the way, she's considered his wife in this culture already at this time. His wife turned on the waterworks. She began to cry. Let me read it to you. I read it to you in the LT. So Samson's wife came to him in tears and says, you don't love me. You hate me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. Now imagine hearing that day after day after day after day. And you know, Samson's such a gentle soul, isn't he? Here's what he says. I haven't even given the answer to my mother or father. He replied, why should I tell you? By the way, this is their wedding feast. Wedding feast. Well, it looks like it's going to be a successful marriage, doesn't it? You can't even make it to the wedding feast without fighting. You're in trouble. Verse 17, so she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. Every time he looked at her, Run, Samson, run, go, run. Not Samson. Not Samson. At last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with the nagging. Then she explained the riddle to the young men. Imagine this. Talk about a depressing wedding feast. Talk about a hard place. You've got 30 disgruntled people you know, they, they, they dislike you so much they're going to burn down your wife's home and his father, uh, her father's house and her in it. Do away with her. And, and it's amazing here. And, and just at the last moment, can't you see these 30 guys kind of swaying, strutting in? <laughs> Sly smile on their face. they got a swagger. And they say, hey, what's stronger than a lion and sweeter than honey? You big, dumb moron, Samson. Now, that's not in the Scripture, but I think that's what Boys and girls, don't quote me on that. Don't get me in trouble. She had a pretty face, but look at him now. Samson's in a hard place. His wife betrayed him. She didn't go and say, Samson, honey, I need your help. What are you talking about Samson? This is the guy. He could have took out all 30 of them. She doesn't trust Samson. She doesn't really care about us. She betrayed Samson. He's betrayed by his wife. He now has a huge bill to pay. I mean, it's bad enough you've got to put on the wedding feast, but now you owe 30 sets of undergarments and 30 clothes, and they tell me these were not just, you know, this wasn't a Walmart purchase, if you will. So what does he do? Verse 19, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, 
took their apparel and gave changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. Ashkelon, they tell me, was a coastal town. It was about 23 miles from Timnah, and it was one of the five main Philistine cities. So he goes there and he kills these 30 men, and I assume, I assume after he kills them, he then takes off their clothing. Which, by the way, and he goes back and pays his debt. And if he did that, he did break the Nazarite vow. And he didn't just break it one time or two times or three times. He broke it 30 times in the killing of these men if he personally took off their garments and paid off their debt. Uh, it was Luther who said if these guys thought that they were going to be getting new clothes, they were sadly mistaken. They got some thrift store fines for sure. But he paid off his debt. And in doing so, we think he broke the Nazarite vow that he had been put under. Now this brings us to the third point, and a very important point, because I know that as you've read this story, there's some questions that probably arose to your mind, because you notice it says that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and then he went down and killed these men. And you're trying to justify all this in your mind. So let's talk for a little bit about one of the most important points here, and that is marvelous grace. Marvelous grace. You see, God is the hero of Samson's story. He always is the hero of the story, by the way. And I want to show you real quickly, before we run out of time today, just how good God was to Samson. I want you to notice, first of all, that God didn't abandon Samson. He didn't abandon Samson. He could have. He could have just washed his hands of him. He could have just, you know, killed him off. He could have walked away from him, but God didn't do that. God did not abandon Samson. And did you notice that God's Spirit empowered Samson? Twice in this passage alone, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, but each time that it did, or he did, it led to something or someone being killed. In, in verse number 6, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he killed a lion. And verse 19, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went and killed 30 Philistine men. And that may shock you. So how in the world could you justify the Spirit of God coming upon Samson and he goes down and kills 30 people and steals their clothes? You've got to remember something in the story. Samson's not just a man. Samson is a judge. Samson is a man whom God is using to bring about some deliverance for his people through this man named Samson. See, Samson didn't go down and kill 30 Sunday school teachers. He didn't even go down and kill 30 deacons. He went down and he killed 30 wicked Philistines. So what type of people are the Philistines? We just read it. They would kill and burn down a house over a riddle, over a change of clothing. See, God is delivering. He's bringing about deliverance for His people through Samson as a judge. So God's Spirit empowered Samson. Likewise, God preserved Samson. At least twice in this chapter, we see that God preserved Samson's life. That lion came roaring against him. God saved him from the lion. These 30, these 30 men that he killed, God preserved them from that to get, you know, pay off his debt. And we might even add a third time, we could say that God preserved him from his 30 companions because they didn't like Samson. They were going to kill his wife and her whole family. But God preserved Samson over and over and over again. And then here comes a point I want you not to miss. God worked through Samson. 
Now this brings us back to a verse that you may be thinking that the preacher skipped over this verse. He didn't mention it last week, and he hadn't talked about it this week. And that's verse number 4. Now I'm not skipping, I was just saving it till now. Look at verse 4. Remember his parents are not happy with him wanting this wife and it's not right, but verse 4 says, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Don't misunderstand what this verse is saying. God did not cause Samson to sin. God did not tell Samson to disobey the law of God and marry a Philistine. God did no evil. Never has, never will, not even possible for God to do anything wrong. God is perfect. God simply worked out His plan in spite of Samson. That's what you have to understand here. By the way, just because God uses someone, or God blesses someone, or God even works through someone, does not necessarily mean that God is pleased with that person's behavior and actions. God will work in spite of behavior and actions at times. See, Samson was filled with anger. And Samson was, was filled with lust. And he went down to kill off those 30 guys and get their garments. But God used that situation to bring about His will as He was delivering His people from this Philistine bondage. Now, how much better it would be if we were to read the story that Samson lived a godly life, he took a godly wife, God used him in a mighty way, he lived in a godly way, but that's not what we read here, but God used Samson in spite of Samson. Now, don't leave with the wrong idea, by the way. Don't, don't take this to run with it. Say, well, I'm going to live however I want and God can work anyway. Well, He can. But Samson paid a high price for his sin. We're not even to the end of his life yet. By the way, he didn't learn the lessons. We're going to find two more women in his life and we're going to see what happens. But you read at the end of this chapter, and we'll pick up the story next time, but even in this chapter, it says he never did consummate this marriage. He got angry and went home. And to make matters worse, it says that his bride was given to his best man. That'd be a tough pill to swallow, wouldn't it? Yes, God worked through Samson. Yes, God, it seems, even empowered Samson. We know that it says it here. It seems like he blessed Samson. But Samson paid a high price for his disobedience and his sin. And the story goes downhill from there, but more on that next time. I just want to summarize with three thoughts before we leave. I'll give them to you quickly, then we'll pray and sing and go. Three lessons I want you to take with this. First of all, don't toy with temptation and sin. Don't put yourself in a place where you're greatly tempted. In fact, the Bible says very clearly that we're to make no provision for the flesh. And so there are places or people that we're around or places we go that, that really tempt us to sin. We need to separate ourselves. Yes, we may have liberty to go all sorts of places, do all sorts of things, but everything might be allowed, but it's not expedient. It's not really something that's going to be helpful. So there's some things you might need to say no to. Other people can do it, but you can't do them. Don't toy with temptation and sin. Secondly, don't waste your life on the trivial. Don't waste your life on the trivial. And by the way, that's one of the greatest challenges we have living in America in 2022 because we're surrounded by the trivial. 
our life can be consumed by the trivial. We can waste our entire life on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever it is. We can waste our entire life on the trivial. Or we can invest our life in what is eternal. And there is a tremendous difference. Third and finally, don't bank on God's blessing when you're living in disobedience. Don't bank on God's blessing when you're living in disobedience. In other words, don't take Samson's story and say, well, you know, Samson wasn't perfect and look what Samson did and, and God used Samson and Samson's a hero of the faith and so, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect and, and none of us are and so I'm, just, I'm not going to worry about you. I'm just going to live the way I want to live and, and God will still work and God will still be, you know, honored in some way and I'll be a blessing somehow. No, friend, don't bank on God's blessing when you're living in disobedience. God worked in spite of Samson. How much better it would have been if Samson would have been a man who lived a godly life, who chose a godly wife, and who lived in godly ways, that God would be truly honored and glorified by his life, during his life. So don't bank on God's blessing. Let's pray together. Father, it is with a grateful heart that we bow in your presence. We thank you for your grace. It's so evident here in Samson's life. Lord, may we, may we not choose to sin that grace may abound. No, as Romans says, God forbid. May we live a righteous, holy life empowered by the Spirit of God that we might be a witness and a testimony and a blessing for you to others by all that we say and all that we do. Help us to say no to temptation. Help us to make no provision for the flesh. Help us not to waste our lives. Father, I pray if anybody here does not know You as Lord and Savior, that Your Spirit would convict them of their sin and help them to place their faith in Christ alone. Father, help us to continue to learn these lessons and to grow in our faith as we are challenged by this example of this man this hero of the faith, Samson. May we be better spiritually by studying this passage and these passages together. In Jesus' name, amen.